sing today today's not the day are you sure <laughs> no uh, okay so what's our topic today julia 50s crooners crooners sounds like a slur yeah it does I it really weird does saying crooners because i'm like is this a slur <laughs> but it's not we both like 50s crooners yeah i think i don't know i, I love music history like yep. i just love learning about different decades in music and like mm-hmm. i took a whole class on it even though it was kind of a fucked class my professor was stupid but <laughs> it was a cool class and i love like i read tons of music books i like i love it so mm-hmm. that's kind of my jam and then yeah. you know it's just fun like just, we haven't done something in this decade before yes. so we wanted to take it way back we stick in like the 80s 70s a little bit 80s 90s 2000s which makes yeah, sense that's our period yeah we love that shit that makes sense because like our parents were you know that was their thing so like we feel this like kind of weird nostalgia or like reminiscent yeah of that because we never got to live it so i think we really like to like be a part of that and, and then then the 2000s we're just course. blatantly and we just love the 2000s they love it i feel like it's it's something that like our generation doesn't actively seek out like let me listen to some 50s crooners yeah i do that but um, <laughs> i do that but we're still fun. like familiar with it because yeah. you hear it I mean, at christmas, christmas time and yeah. they're and it is like a very culturally relevant period it is well i'll tell you why should i kick it off kick it off okay before i begin on my artist i just want to talk a little bit about what a crooner is how it's defined how it came about yada 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 bing bang boom Mm -hmm. okay so a crooner is defined as a vocalist typically a male who sings sentimental songs in a soft low tone Mm -hmm. give me an example um, <laughs> unforgettable yeah that's good that is my favorite they typically fit into the genres of jazz r&b soul and gospel and they draw from those a lot especially gospel music hmm. stylistic features of the vocalization include pitch slides which is basically a smooth transition from a higher pitch to a lower pitch or vice versa in like a seamless manner with like a lot of control to create that soothing effect so like oh like when he goes unforgettable mm-hmm. so that slide going down and up back up to the pitch um as well as turns on certain notes which is similar to that vocal or that pitch slide um and in notation of music it's expressed as like the ornamentation of like a sideways s um so when you see that it means that you basically start you play it's kind of confusing but like if you're playing piano or something you you would play the note above i mean the below the written note and then the cu- two in between and then the last note that's written so mm. it kind of creates another like slide effect um so yeah so you play or sing the note above the first written note then the written note followed by the note below the written note and lastly the final written note um so it sounds kind of like a run you start at like a high note and you go down and you end back up on that higher note mm. so it'd be like c b a b go back up to b yeah so, I mean, the musicians that listening are going to be like, she absolutely said that wrong. <laughs> They're like, you're actually <laughs> so wrong for that. <laughs> um, you're, but You're speaking a different language for me. So, yeah, that's kind of just like a rundown of like what makes a crooner vocal style mm-hmm. crooner like. Mm-hmm. And also the songs like typically with like lyrical contents about a lot of love songs, oh, yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff. So that also comes into play. Mm-hmm. So some common examples of crooners. Um, 
not including like the most famous ones that we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Tony Bennett, Bing Crosby, oh. Dean Martin, Bobby Darin, Perry Como. Pretty um. much any 50 singer who has a Christmas album. Oh my God, You stop. know? <laughs> like, it's yeah. true. Well, I'll get into it. But like, um, women are more often like express their like love for crooners. It's kind of that like, you know, women like because they are usually attractive men, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. like it's more like acceptable for them to like showcase their like love for them and like it had a huge female audience yeah but also a lot of men because like they're strong male figures as well yeah and like people like dean martin you know it's a lot of people from like more like immigrant type you Mm -hmm. know families and like that kind of thing smaller neighborhoods um, who made their way up yeah who made their way up and and they're like the they're like the perfect like sophisticated man but yeah and then also there's some crooners that kept the style that style of singing alive today most notably michael bubble Uh, Michael you're so right but guess who who what he's he a does crooner. he's a fucking he has a christmas he, album he's the king of christmas that's like the only he is the king of, yeah. he's the only one his his christmas album is like the only one that people really know about i mean yeah he definitely has other music but i but. think the thing is like people have adapted the vocal style um especially in modern jazz and soul music i think that kind of comes through too although mm-hmm. like you know that's the origins of crooners so that definitely yeah. still plays out but there's not like in the same way that there was in the 50s there weren't like crooners but that's because that's so interesting I'll go in, now i'm gonna go into the bit of the history but the crooners were really the first pop stars that yeah. we had mm-hmm. because the crooner genre originated originated in the 1920s um because it was made for radio play and it was using the new processes of electrical recording that they had at the time for music um which encouraged a softer vocal delivery so it really was like this commercialization of this form of music which is basically the, the definition of pop music yeah. So they were really the first pop stars because nineteen twenties you didn't have any, you had fucking big band and shit. I don't know. What yeah, you had do? like, like a Benny Goodman orchestra. And, yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Benny Goodman orchestra. <laughs> the people, uh, the, or like um, Glenn Miller. Yeah, like shit like that. Well, I love Glenn Miller though. Me too. But you know that was kind of the, there wasn't people really... people are like Charlestoning around like. No, really, it was more like dance music. It was music for gatherings. It was big band music. It was stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. It, there wasn't like specific like idols that people idolize like for their music you You didn't have like a parasocial relationship with your big band exactly (laughs) (laughs) with your big band leaders i don't (laughs) think so yeah the pacific sounds grew in popularity as bands adopted the style which helped commercialize it they continued to grow reaching heights in popularity in the 40s and 50s um just as a lot of pop and rock artists continue to do today with like jazz and blues music crooners heavily drew from those genres then commercialized them so it's kind of controversial because they stole, like, a lot of works from people in, like, Tin Pan Alley. Yeah. So, obviously, the, those were, like, majority black communities, and they stole a lot of songs from them. Um, I Only Have Eyes For You, I've Got You Under My Skin, mm. Where or When, those were all Tin Pan Alley songs. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, the Tin Pan, we would be nowhere without Tin Pan Alley. That's, like, a lot of those, like, early, like, pop songs are just like yeah you know american anthems and stuff were just tin pen alley songs that we that white people just stole all right so this is kind of where i get into that like of course with um the popularity in the music industry with like pop songs they had to have someone that also had that image so that's where that image also came through and like really grew the popularity because you know they were all you look at all of them they're all attractive men you think like the rat mm-hmm. pack and you're like you know like frank sinatra he's a hottie i'm gonna say no he was, <laughs> he was a hottie. have like, you seen his famous mugshot from 1938 yes He's mm-hmm. hot. He's hot. <laughs> so, yeah, they had to be <laughs> hot to have that, like, sex appeal and that, like, attraction to women. He was only 5'7", though. Oh, yeah, he was a short king. We love <laughs> a short king. Hey, I, hey, 
I'd respect it. I yeah. I respect a short thing. I like respect Frank a short. Sinatra. I, I'm short, so I I mean the standards are low. Bada bing, you know? bada boom. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, standards so are short. The sa- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then being attractive, I think also subconsciously, like you gain some respect from men too. You know, it's for sure. Especially being like successful and like you know everything. They wanted to admit said. it, but the men were like, mm-hmm. literally, they're like, I would tap that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the crooners were really like some of the first pop artists paving the way for the Beatles. And then, yep. you know, every, like, boy band after, or, like, fucking Justin Bieber. Justin mm-hmm. Bieber would not be here without the fucking crooners. So, yeah, that's crooners. And now, the crooner that I'm talking about is the one and only Nat King Cole, baby. L is for the way you look at me. Okay, so Nat King Cole was born Nathaniel Adams Coles. On March 17th, 1919, in Montgomery, Alabama, um, his dad was a butcher who had aspirations to be a preacher. He's like, this butcher life isn't cutting it. Cutting it. Oh. Boom. Ha. 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 Oh, dear. dear <laughs> okay. Um, and his mom was an organist at their church, which is how Cole got into music. Slay. He had three brothers, Eddie, Ike, and Freddie, as well as a half-sister named Joyce. Um, his family relocated to Chicago when Cole was about four because his dad got a job as a pastor. He made his dreams come true. Cole began performing music at a young age. Also, like, around the same time he moved to Chicago, he just got into singing his little songs and doing his little thing. Um, and he began for- formal piano lessons at the age of 12. He attended Wendell Phillips Academy High School, which is a little fun fact. It's where Sam Cooke attended a few years oh, later. Oh, cool. So it's kind of a weird coincidence. Um, Cole spent most of his teenage years in the clubs of Chicago. He would sneak out and go see Louis Armstrong, Earl Hines, and Jimmy Noon perform. Slay. What a cool guy. So he began playing piano in Chicago clubs. So that just shows, like, he had to have been so fucking good. Like, oh, he's yeah. probably 15. He'd probably only been playing a few years and then would just go <laughs> and play in these clubs. Yeah. So I think he, you know, he just has that natural instinct. But while he's playing in these clubs, he got his nickname, King, from a nursery rhyme called Old King Cole. So that's why he just adopted Nat King Cole. He dropped the S from his name and that's mm-hmm. who he was. He dropped out of school at age 15 when him oh. and his older brother Eddie formed a jazz sextet. Um, they released their first recording in 1936. They then went on tour with an all-black musical revival of, I don't know, some weird play. I don't even know what this is. Shuffle Along. Mm-hmm. Some theater person is probably listening. They're like, how can you not know that? You don't know Shuffle Along? <laughs> That's like as big as lame is. The tour ended in L.A. where Cole decided to stay and pursue his career in jazz as a jazz pianist. Um, but in... Like, they traveled for a year, and during that tour, he met Nadine Robinson, and she was from L.A. She was one of the cast members in the play, and they fell in love, and so that's also, like, a reason that he decided to settle down in L.A., and they married in 1937. For work at the time, he led a big band and played at nightclubs. Um, a club owner asked him to form a band, so he hired a bassist and a guitarist, and he called themselves, they called themselves the King Cole Swingsters. Okay. Swingsters. King Cole Swingsters <laughs> um, over here. But they did change their name later on to the King Cole Trio, which I think is yeah, better. better. So at this time, he recorded songs such as Sweet Lorraine, That Ain't Right, and All For You. Um, and in the early, those were recorded, like, at this time, like, now it's, like, early 1940s. And those rose to pretty good popularity, did well on the charts. But he never really intended to be a vocalist, but legend has it that he was kind of, like, pestered by a drunken audience member at one of, like, the clubs um, to sing one of the songs, and so he just did. He was like, okay, hmm. just, like, shut this guy up, I guess, and he was like, fuck you, I can do it. 
Um, and then the customers, like, started requesting that he sing in the trio. So he Aww. just kind of, like, stepped up as, like, he would sing every once in a while in the trio, and people, like, loved it. So the success of his first singles led to a deal with Capitol Records, and so they released a few singles off of that, which were also huge hits, and he appeared in his first... He appeared in the first Jazz at the Philharmonics concert in 1944. So that's kind of a big thing. Mans is doing the most. Making Dropped out of high school up. at 15, and now he's... What a, what a great time. <sighs> you could just, like, you do, could just that. do that. You're like, okay, I'm just going to travel around play music and then i'm just gonna land in la i'm gonna get married and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna so make money by playing at nightclubs yeah to like sustain myself yeah i'm just gonna like yeah go play at nightclubs not have any other job no not yeah, have shoddy a didn't have to be a barista for <laughs> a million years <laughs> jesus christ yeah, seriously jealous of different world um okay the trio appeared on radio and tv as well as had film appearances um and cole began recording and performing pop oriented material releasing some of his most famous songs all for you the christmas song Ugh. get your kicks on route 66 mm -hmm. and some of my favorites this was that was those ones were in the 40s and then as you went into the 50s um early 50s orange colored sky oh yeah oh, i love that song <coughs> and unforgettable unforgettable um yeah so these <coughs> hits really grouped him in with stars like frank sinatra mm -hmm. barry como dean martin mm -hmm. so he Join in the Italian guys. He really made his way up. He paved the way for himself. Yep. So he was born and raised, for the most part, in Alabama, you know, first five, four or five years of his life. Um, but he faced a lot of racism and discrimination within his career. So yeah. a huge thing was in 1956, he went back to Alabama, like his hometown. He was, he, you know, to pay yeah. homage, to perform there. Like a lot of artists do that. Um, and he was attacked on stage during oh. an attempted kidnapping by members of the White Citizens Council, which is like a group of white supremacists. Um, that formed in the wake of Brown versus Board of Education. Mm -hmm. So just a bunch of fuckers. <laughs> and just, like, was trying to fucking kidnap him. But he was rescued, recovered, and completed the show. I would Slay. not. I would have been done. I would have been, like, out of there. Yeah. But he was, like, rescued from it. Was, like, fine. Completed the show. But he never. He said he was, like, fuck that. I'm never returning to the South again. Aww. And he didn't. That's sad. Which is sad. But, like, good for yeah. him for, like, standing his ground. And, like, you know. But it's just sad. Like, that was where he's from. It's his home. Yeah yeah but i mean he did grow up a lot in chicago like chicago gave him the path to like music and all of these artists that he loved so but mans was doing the most he got his own show on nbc in 1956 so he fucking proved to them he was like you're really gonna try to come at me well i got my own fucking show bitches. well i'm rich well i'm rich so, so suck my dick <laughs> <laughs> so the show was only was like one of the first variety variety programs um to have an african-american host um so that's a pretty big deal but i think it only lasted about a year or so but he also appeared in movies like St. Louis Blues, The Blue Gardenia, and Chinagate in the late 50s. In 1958, he traveled to Cuba, and he recorded and released an album entirely in Spanish, oh. which kind of spread to that, like, Latin American audience. And yet, it's, like, on Spotify and stuff. It's actually pretty good. I'm like, okay, he's got this. He's speaking Spanish right now. Okay, like, Nat. Um, so he continued to record and release hits in the 60s, including Smile, as well as songs Pretend, A Blossom Fell, and... Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. So, yeah, that was most of his career. Cole died at the age of only 45 from oh. lung cancer. He was a chain-smoking guy. They all were. Um, but in total, Cole had 28 studio albums. Wow. With his last being L-O-V-E, uh, which was released posthumously in 1965. I love that song. So, just about, like, a year. I think he, was, I think he died in 1964, like, towards the end. So, it was just kind of, like at the end like wow. a couple like a, maybe a year after his death um or a couple months hmm. um he was inducted to into the 
well, he was inducted <laughs> into both the Alabama Music Hall of Fame as well as the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame, the Downbeat Jazz Hall of Fame, and Hit Parade Hall of Fame. Wow. I don't know what those are. But, like, yeah, Alabama, put some respect on his name. Literally, that's the least he you could do. He never fucking went back. After the way you treated him. Literally. Mm. Yeah. He was also posthumously awarded a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1990. Oh. And this is so adorable. I didn't know this, but I listened to it on Spotify, and it's really good. His song, Unforgettable, was made popular again in the early 90s when his daughter, Natalie, used modern recording technology just, like, basically, you know how, like, they did with John Lennon where, um, what's that one song? as a bird they like use mm-hmm. his vocals and then they did modern recordings of the beatles and then like blended them together after yeah. he died yeah it was like that so she took his vocals and she sang over them to like duet him um in a modern Aww. recording of it and it earned seven grammys in 1992 <gasps> wow yeah so that's like cute and like paying homage to him yeah um yeah so that's his career but i'll get a little into his personal life if you want to know some deets it's not Give gonna be anything deets. crazy like frank sinatra i'll tell you but it's got something some, to start off Matt. he entered into freemasonry oh do you know what freemasonry is yeah okay i don't know a whole lot about it but my dad talks a lot about freemasonry like i don't know what why. was he doing in there well i don't know because it's a secret society it's like a secret fraternal right. society so it's only men um it's an oath-bound society often devoted to fellowship moral discipline mutual assistance that conceals at least some of its rituals customs or activities to the public because mm-hmm. not every secret society does but like a lot of them do so i don't really know what's going on with that um but it originates from like medieval stone masons um who built like many of the famous european castles cathedrals stuff like that Mm -hmm. um i think it it includes and follows many esoteric doctrines and traditions so i think people are kind of weirded out by it because it's so secretive and like related to the occult you know just like with esoteric yeah it's the same thing with like the dia thing yeah yeah they're like oh esoteric (gasps) occultism but it's like yeah if you know what occultism is it's like inward forms of like religion and faith that are centered around like the spirit and the individual and like supernatural and stuff like that so that was like the weirdest thing i think with his personal life like i would want to know more about that like i wish yeah that's my insight i think there was a documentary i wanted to watch about him but it wasn't available anywhere i like went on amazon to try to rent it and it was like not available in your region i was like what the fuck oh you need nord vpn yeah nord <laughs> vpn is a <laughs> bull was 18 when he married his first wife nadine robinson we talked about that they divorced in 1948 um just six days after his divorce was finalized he married the singer maria hawkins Ooh. um but they stayed together i think up until his death they had five children together natalie carol nat and twins casey and Timolin. Both Carol and Nat were adopted and all but the twins are deceased now. He's since gone down in history as one of the most popular and influential entertainers of the 20th century. He yes. topped the charts. He sold more than 50 million records and was wow. a key figure in helping push jazz and piano in new directions. Um, a lot towards the mainstream and towards future generations. <laughs> My crooner of choice <laughs> is Frank Sinatra. Frankie boy, Frankie Frank boy Sinatra. How could we? How could we talk about crooners without touching on Frank Sinatra? Because no, honestly, is the, probably the the, the most popular. crooner you think of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I honestly love Frank Sinatra. I I know he's probably like misogynist and like all these horrible things, but like, oh, he's hot. He's hot. And he's those 
He's iconic. Oh, he I does have like, his flaws. On a rainy day, you listen to Frank oh. Sinatra. Christmas. Okay, oh. I feel so Christmassy when oh, I hear Frank Sinatra. The, what is it? What is it? J I N G L E bells. Oh, those holiday J I N G L E bells. Oh, and what's the other one? Um, oh my gosh, my golly. It's time for mistletoe and holly. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. No. Fly me to the moon? No. Oh. Fly me. <laughs> we can't do this. We have to do a sample. We keep doing this. Luck. Oh my god, witchcraft? I love witchcraft. witchcraft. That's a great poem. Uh, Luck be a lady. Luck, Luck be a lady. Listening to Frank Sinatra, I'm like, I want to move to New York. Yeah. Like, get me out of here. He really romanticized the hell out of New York. Uh, I want to move to New York. <laughs> Francis Albert Sinatra. Right? Albert? Francis Albert. Kind of interesting. I like the name Francis. I'm not going to lie. Really? I don't think I'd ever name like my kid Francis, but it kind of sounds like pretentious and like uppity. But, it's but imagine good name. if people called him Francis. Francis. It doesn't work. He's such a Frank. He's a Frank. He's a Frank. Okay, oh, also he's disclaimer. A Frank. I, I'm going to be doing a lot of bad New York and New Jersey accents. Oh, we've been new. Yeah. I just can't. I Guys, can't resist. Um, we'll put a trigger warning. <laughs> <laughs> trigger warning. If you really, if your ears begin to bleed be- from our singing, or you get so <laughs> fucking New annoyed from the New York accents, <laughs> this is not the episode. This for might you. be a skip <laughs> for you. Okay. Francis Albert Sinatra was born on December 12, 1915, in Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh my God, Hoboken. <laughs> and he had a crazy birth. Okay, listen to this crazy birth story. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like birth stories. They really freak me this out. This is bad. So no. <laughs> he was born in the kitchen of his parents' apartment oh. and was thought to be stillborn. So oh, he sad. had to be forcibly pulled out by forceps, resulting in scars on the left side of his face that later gave him the name. He was nicknamed by his friends. That's his friends. Nicknamed at school, Scarface. Oh, my God. Cool, though, because Scarface. Kind of cool, but is that, also. Is that, who is that, Al Pacino? No. Yeah. No, is that Al Pacino? Yeah, Al Pacino? I have the same birthday as him. No, but so, yeah. <laughs> Scarface, cool name, but it did give him some i think insecurities and so yeah, later so in his like, career he was he like would... the fish from nemo mm-hmm, exactly oh my exactly also hot <laughs> is he not that fish is hot it's his voice it's his sexy deep voice <laughs> and the scar like it's kind of hot yeah, he's like moody like i'm like okay yeah, so his name scar his name is scar, scar. <laughs> wait is he or is so, that the lion in that's lion, the lion king in okay lion he's king. also hot though what even is though his he's name evil. his name's like what is it <laughs> The fish. Hot fish and finding Nemo. <laughs> you're not looking at your search history's fucked. Gil. Gil. <laughs> oh my god, there's a video of Gil being hot for eight minutes. <laughs> there's like TikTok thirst traps of Gil. I've seen them. I've seen them. So what funny. does that say about me? Okay. Oh my god. Okay. So yeah, he later in his career he would cover up these scars with heavy makeup and he was very insecure about that. Okay, so he was the only child of Sicilian immigrants. His father was a tavern owner and part-time prize fighter. His mother was a midwife who reportedly helped desperate women obtain illegal abortions in the <gasps> neighborhood. She was so cool. Slay. She was also like an important influence in local politics and her son's life. Growing up, he was inspired to become a singer after watching Bing Crosby perform in the mid-30s. So that was one of his main influences. And he would later go on to perform with Bing Crosby. Aww, they became that's buddies. Like- right that's the american dream yeah that's the american dream right right there there. in high school he was a member of the glee club and started (laughs) he was a gleek (laughs) and started singing at local nightclubs and then he joined a local singing group called the hoboken four which won the local talent competition in 1935 on the popular radio program major bows amateur hour 
which meant that he got to tour the country with the group, but it later disbanded. That's weird, though, because both of our artists kind of had that touring moment. Yeah. And I think that, like, helped them launch into their careers. Exactly. And know, like, oh, I'm doing music. This is what I'm doing. Going into his personal life around the late 30s, so around this time he was in the Hoboken Fort, he married his high school sweetheart, mm. Nancy Barbaro. And they ended up having three kids, including Nancy Sinatra, you- who I love. Ah. So, after being in the Hoboken Four, he was singing and waiting tables at the Rustic Cabin in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Um, so, when he was working there, he was discovered and hired by the trumpeteer Harry James, who had recently quit the Benny Goodman Orchestra. So, Sinatra <laughs> made his first recordings with James, including All or Nothing at All. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, nothing at all. I sounded like it. Yeah, that was pretty good. In 1940, he received a lucrative offer from Tommy Dorsey, the trombonist of the Dorsey Band with whom he made his first major body of work and continued to improve as a vocalist with. So then Dorsey's, Dorsey's band launched Sinatra to chart-topping success, and by 1942, he was more famous than Dorsey himself. So he wanted to strike out as a solo artist, which was actually rare at the time for a big band member to be successful as a soloist. That was, like, sort of not common. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Nat King Cole, like, stayed in his trio for the most part and continued to, like, be a big band leader because that wasn't, like, a common thing. And I think wasn't. once Sinatra... Because, you know, that, that's when Nat King Cole was like, oh, okay, like, I can kind of do this. And that's when he sta- started doing that, like, pop-oriented, right. more, you know, sent- focused on the individual. The individual, yeah. yeah. This was around that time. Because as soon as he struck out alone, he became a cultural phenomenon. He also signed with Columbia Records as a soloist. And Columbia was just They were doing them. the most, yeah. yeah. And... Yeah, young female fans loved him. They started mm-hmm. to be called Bobby Soxers after the Bobby socks they wore. They're called Bobby socks, the type of socks they wore, like in the 50s. I don't know why. But that period Weird. was called Sinatra Mania, just mm-hmm. like Beatle Mania. I'm telling you, they were the first. That was not, was that didn't first. happen before. Mm-hmm. I never knew It went knew like that. Sinatra, Elvis, Beatles. Yeah. And now look where we are. And I didn't, it's like that didn't really click in me because I don't think a lot about like that time period. Yeah, I don't know same. why in music, I, and like it's important in music, but I just, you know, you think Beatles. Like that's where your brain goes to, especially yeah. like a younger generation. But they were the first ones, and I just they never were. really noticed. Mm-hmm. Like those first pop stars. Yeah, it's literally. Crazy. Yeah. So around this time, he earned the nicknames Frankie Boy, <laughs> the Sultan of Swoons, <laughs> the Voice, and eventually Old Blue Eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that the most one. Famous the Sultan one. of Swoons. I know. Please, who came up with that? Uh, okay, so throughout the 40s, he appeared in several musicals. In 1945, he won a special Academy Award for The House I Live In, a 10-minute short film made to promote racial and religious justice. So he was also kind of, he's very liberal okay, as liberal a young man. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so then he released his debut album, The Voice of Frank Sinatra, in 1946. Yes. Some songs that came out of this era are You Go to My Head and Put Your mm. Dreams Away. Mm, so good. So, in the late 40s, Sinatra faced kind of a drop in popularity. This Ooh. is when he started to have a little bit of a decline. Well, because he wasn't that all-good American boy anymore. Oh, he was a bad boy. He was a bad boy. Yes, that's, so that's mainly why, is that he was getting a lot of negative mm-hmm. press. He later speculated that this was due to his reluctance to change styles and evolve musically, which is true. He, like, didn't really do that. Because um, he just loved crooning and swing too much. So what, you know? He loved that shit, but... This is fascinating. So when the rock and roll trend was mm. emerging in the 50s, he hated it. He slandered the shit out of rock and roll. Listen to this quote. In 1957, writing in an opinion piece for a magazine called Western World, he said, My only deep sorrow is the unrelenting insistence of recording and motion picture companies upon purveying the most brutal, 
ugly, degenerate, vicious form of expression has been my displeasure to hear. <laughs> Naturally, I refer to the bulk of rock and roll. <laughs> the accent was so good. <laughs> that impression was spot on. Like, I was in the room with Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I saw him. Isn't that he? That. He had like a. He was I get it though because I mean that's a, how a lot of people are with those older forms of music like you know like a lot of jazz people and stuff like that they don't like modern interpretations of it and in some ways rock and roll was just like it's doing the same thing that crooning does is like you're taking these songs from like mm-hmm. soul or blues and you're yep. putting it into a new modern a new modern spin on it with just a different sound mm-hmm. you know and I think people didn't like that when they were like, well, we did that first, or yep, this isn't, exactly. you know, like, the changing with the times, and it's like, just fuck, get with it, Things old man. Things change. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, people do that now. They're like, oh, yeah. Like, the music today is terrible. Well, Back in is. my day. It is, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's for different reasons. Yeah. But it's like, you're doing the same thing. Can't you see that? But mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. Like, yeah. I, it, it makes sense to me. I know, right? So, I don't know if Frank ever actually, like, fully embraced rock and roll, but he did have a change in heart later and even sang duets with Elvis Presley. Hmm. Um, and they went on to become buddies. Oh, Because so, at the time when Sinatra was saying this stuff about rock and roll, I remember that like Elvis was interviewed and was like, I think he's really wrong. Like, I don't know. Wait, how does, how does Elvis sound? Oh, I think he's really wrong. I don't think he's wrong. Because he was basically made the same argument. He was like, crooners were... Cro- like the crooning phase was also a trend it was yeah. a popular music trend mm-hmm. and so is rock and roll and yeah. just that's just how things change Period. but you know Sinatra stuck with his crooning but he did have a little bit of a change in heart but anyway yeah I thought that was a funny quote <laughs> it was like so aggressive okay so yeah he also started to receive a lot of negative press around the late 40s so during the war years he was exempt from military military service because he had a punctured eardrum but the FBI got involved when they received claims that he paid 40000 to a doctor to declare him medically unfit for service. Oh, so they shit. thought he tried to Get skip out. out. Yeah. This was disproven. He did actually have a punctured eardrum. Okay. <laughs> um, but FBI. rumors... Okay, yeah. So the FBI had a okay, large they, part in his I life. was going to say. Mm-hmm. I was going to say. I'm going to get Ooh, into that. Oh, that shit Yeah, there's a crazy. lot of stuff with the FBI. So Ooh. rumors that he dodged the draft taunted him throughout his career, though, mm. even though it was disproven later. Although shit. he always denied it, he had legit connections to the mob so this also continued to draw the attention of the fbi the fbi was really keeping a close eye on frank mm-hmm. sinatra they're like hmm. frankie boy we got your on we got we, we got, got eyes, eyes on, on you. you frankie so he was so sinatra was close friends with the likes of famous mob bosses like sam Giancana. sorry if i'm saying that wrong john john Giancana. lucky luciano and joe Fischetti. lucky luciano mm-hmm. yeah and he was like reportedly close friends with some of these oh people oh my god that's so yeah. According to an article on History.com, Sinatra flaunted his friendships with people connected to organized crime and took plenty of public photographs with known mobsters. His gangster friends shared his passions, gambling, women, money, and they often met in casinos and nightclubs. Basically, the Sopranos guys. Those were just his buds, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, despite his mob ties, Sinatra was known for standing up for anti-racist initiatives and defending people accused of being communists. So I think his liberal. Oh, yeah, because that's all the Red Scare stuff. The too. Red Scare, yeah. He he like defended. And what was people. the li- What was like the list of all the like? They had that list of um, 
like celebrities and yeah. stuff that were like potentially communist or whatever. Right. And he was never he was never put on that, but he was that would like considered that destroyed like careers. Uh huh. And he defended those people. That's insane. So literally, that's why. Yeah. So his like liberal initiatives made him seem like a threat to the. And during that time, of course, if he's liberal like that, especially like defending, I mean, alleged communists. Of course, he's not going to be popular among like mainstream, you know, American citizens, you know, Mm -hmm. that are listening to his music because. That was not okay at that time. Yeah, yeah he was, was definitely the on their, their radar. But people still loved him. Yeah. But yeah, he was definitely, yeah, the, during the time he was declining yeah, for sure. I, I could see that in his popularity, yeah. yeah. Around this time, he also started having extramarital affairs, which would go on to happen uh, a lot. I mean, if y'all, y'all watched Mad Men, it seems like it happened all the time in the 50s. That's yeah, what it seems that was like. Just the it was norm. the norm, yeah. Literally. There was also a widely published incident in which Sinatra punched a gossip columnist because Sinatra is known for having a very violent, short temper. Short but king, short temper. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Say. But the, to be fair, the columnist was being a jerk. Well, apparently the columnist accused him of his mob connections, which Sinatra always denied, even though he did have them. Um, but also allegedly called him a slur, like a slur Ooh. for an Italian. So Sinatra was like, "Ah, right, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> Bam, bam, boom. One <laughs> bow. You must work for me. You got the Sinatra sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> you got a Sinatra sandwich. Uh, so, obviously, this incident did not reflect too well on him at the time. No. But he was later vindicated when it was revealed that the columnist had collaborated with the FBI to discredit Sinatra. So, th- so this columnist mm. was with the FBI, like, trying to rile Working him up on purpose. <sighs> In order That's to like, fucked up. you know, mess up his name. Yeah. Why would the FBI want to? Do they were that? Just because they wanted Frank. to get mob connections. They wanted info and mob stuff. And I, I could see and that. I, yeah, and I think just because Frank was so influential and that like was a threat to them, and he was oh, yeah. liberal. Yeah. They do that with a lot of. I mean, we talked about that with Biggie and Tupac and stuff. Exactly. It's like if someone has very liberal ideas and they are a threat you know to these large institutions they're gonna come for you so the pressures of fame and press had really taken their toll on my boy frank and he entered a five-year period of professional and personal decline 1951 nancy divorced him not long after discovering his most recent extramarital affair with actress ava gardner oh yeah i've heard about that Mm -hmm. so ava gardner and frank sinatra later they married soon after he divorced nancy and they had a notoriously tumultuous, crazy marriage flanked by many public fights, Damn. many abortions, just a lot of up and downs in there. Oh and there, it was and a very volatile that, like, that the press, relationship. Like her abortions and stuff. Uh, I don't. I think that probably came out later. later? Okay. But okay. like they had, they supposedly had like public fights in public, Damn. and they, yeah, very volatile. So short king, short temper. Literally. So their marriage lasted until. 1957 when they divorce after which he attempted suicide one of three attempts made in his lifetime oh my god so you know he was even though he's so iconic he was struggling like he was That's struggling a lot of artists though mm-hmm. like you just don't see that like behind the scenes stuff one of his biographers jay randy taraborelli said of him frank described himself as an 18 karat manic depressive he was I he was a bipolar, moody, difficult man who drank heavily with a sense of entitlement twisted by celebrity. So he probably had bipolar disorder. People speculate. Mm, that's yeah, that's hard. Mm-hmm. And then going untreated and then you know you're around drugs and alcohol. Yep. Okay, you know, like that makes celebrity. it so that like mm-hmm. really extrapolates all of that. <clears throat> However, his career 1953 was a good year for Frank Sinatra. Oh, good. We, our boy needed one. He needed a good <laughs> year after all that. 
His career took off again as an actor in the movie From Here to Eternity, which actually earned him an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Oh, my God. He emerged as, like, a very talented actor and became one of the top film stars of the 50s and 60s, which earned him a high level of respect and popularity as both a singer and a serious actor. In 1953, he also signed with Capitol Records and produced some of his best music with them, and his voice was a lot more mature, it was jazzier. So some of his masterpieces from this period are the album In the Wee Small Hours, which is sometimes credited as the first concept album, although that's debatable. No way. Isn't that interesting? Well, what's the kind of concept? Is, like, uh, what is the like, running theme? Like sad, rainy. Hmm. Just all have that undertone. Yeah. I mean, you look at the cover art and you're, and like, you're like, oh, yeah. 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 Makes sense. Um, also, songs for swinging lovers. Oh, oh, he stepped up from the sadness and he said mm. swinging lovers. Let's swing. Let's swing. <laughs> swing. Not yep. swingers party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's actual dancing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He also started living it up in Las Vegas at this time and hanging out with performers who would become known as the Rat Pack. Oh, the Rat Pack! Mm -hmm. A group of performers who acted, sang, and did comedy together in the 50s and 60s. So this was made up of Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Joey Bishop, and Peter Lawford. And a honorary member was John F. Kennedy! Oh my god, don't get me started on the Kennedy stuff. There's Kennedy stuff in here too, girl. We keep coming back to the Kennedy. We also talked about that on the conspiracy theory one because Mm -hmm. I talked about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. So their old, this group, their old Hollywood charm and partying lifestyle made them, gave them like the title of like the bad boys of the 50s and Mm -hmm. 60s. However, you look back and you watch some of the stuff and it's very misogynist and racist. Like the humor. Like it did not age well. No. But during the time it was like... (laughs) These guys are great. Speaking of Sinatra's connections to both Chicago mob boss Giancana and Kennedy, during Kennedy's presidential campaign, Sinatra apparently acted as a liaison between the two in order to ensure votes for Kennedy. Oh my god. But later, the Kennedy administration would later denounce organized crime and they would sever this relationship and they had like a falling out with I... Sinatra and Kennedy because they were like buds. Oh my god. And then Kennedy was like, oh, we don't want anything to do with this mob shit. But... Because they don't, he didn't want that re- with his reputation yeah. as president. Mm-hmm. The thing is, people don't realize how intimately entwined like politics and music are. In so many ways, it's intertwined. Like yeah. every single instance, like they're you think of any band like there there's something mm-hmm. you know like punk music obviously that's just like politically charged yeah but you think about like i said like laurel canyon and that kind oh, of stuff oh yeah like Jim that Morrison. was crazy mm-hmm. yeah that is all cia connections and yeah. stuff yeah okay so let's move into the 1960s now so having regained success sinatra continued to receive acclaim in both music and movies throughout this decade he left Capitol records and started his own record company reprise records in 1960 mm-hmm. under which he produced bops like strangers in the night that's life and my way yes Mm -hmm. so even though the music scene was changing rapidly and sinatra wasn't really keeping up he still got his due like he still got respect where his respect was due like jim morrison even said no one can touch him about frank sinatra also his daughter nancy sinatra who i love her music she's great she started making bops in the 60s like these boots are made for walking a feminist anthem and they recorded one of my fave Sinatra songs together, Something Stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in 1967. I love that song. Then, okay, this is weird. Just a oh, warning. God. So Sinatra pulled a Leonardo DiCaprio oh, and married gosh. the star of Rosemary's Baby, Mia Farrow, in 1966. Oh. She was 21 and he was 50. <gasps> 
Yeah, but they divorced in 1968. It didn't last very long. So then he married for the fourth and final time in 1976 to Barbara Max. Or, no, I think it's Marx. Sorry. To Barbara Typo. Marx. <laughs> Changes it. Barbara Marx. And they remained together until Sinatra's death 20 years later. So he had four different marriages. Okay, now let's get into his later life. Yes. Um, so Sinatra pretty much retired from performing, passing on the torch to others during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but he still released an album every now and again and performed live quite a lot, actually, despite oh. the fact that his voice was slowly deteriorating from age and years of smoking those six. Oh, yeah, baby. I mean, it was going downhill. Much to my disappointment, he abandoned his Democratic loyalties and became a Republican, supporting Richard Nixon, and later became close friends with Ronald Reagan. Oh! Close friends. And, I and hate Reagan! I know, it's it's hard to hear. And Reagan presented him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which I would say is deserved. Then he recorded his final recordings, his final albums, Duets and Duets 2, with several contemporary popular singers in the early 90s, like um, Barbara Streisand, Bono. Uh, yeah. Love Bono. So those were pretty popular. Cool. Um, but those were his last, his last recordings, and he died in 1998 at the age of 82 from he a heart attack. He was old. He was old. Apparently, oh. his last words were, "I'm losing." Oh God. Which is really sad. <laughs> I think he had a sad, hard life. He had a really tragic life. Yeah. I don't think people realize that. Yeah. Like he struggled. He definitely struggled throughout his life. On his tombstone, it's also kind of sad. On his tombstone is engraved the words. The best is yet to come, which was the name of the last song he ever sang live. Oh, that's sweet, though. I know. That's like, that's like sad, it's but sweet. sweet. Yeah. yeah. So a little bit about his legacy. Despite his many flaws, you know, he could be quite controversial. You know, yeah. he did some things. And he had, he had a very tumultuous life, like crazy life. Yeah. No one can deny his influence. Oh, my God, no. In amazing. American popular music and culture, mm -hmm. the recordings he made during his more than 50 years as a performer are considered to be some of the most important body of work in American music, if not the most important body of work. Wow. By some critics. Um, that's pretty much it. And I, like I said, I'm pretty sure he won two Academy Awards in his lifetime for movies, so he was like a good actor Damn. and won so many you know different awards for his music and wow just really yeah, just slayed just a just a guy doing doing, his, doing thing. his and his legacy is just it's just unmatched yeah, like literally. definitely known as like the most famous crooner oh yeah and yeah. one of the most famous probably singers artists of like the 20th century I'd say. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh yeah for yeah, sure for sure Amazing. So that's it. I loved it. I love to Thanks. hear about Frankie Boy. I love the tea. I right? love the goss. Lots you know of goss. Lots of goss. Do you have a Fuck Mary Kill? Oh, I didn't even think about it. I didn't think about it. I like it hit me in between. I totally forgot that. How about we just do that? Let's just yeah. do like Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole. Perfect. I know, okay. I know mine. Wait. Oh, that's kinda sad. Or them or with the songs. I think just generally just them. them. Like their careers, okay. their music. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Wow. I think I know mine. I think I know yours, too. It's going to be the same. Oh. It's sad, though. Oh, shit. Tell me yours. I think I would marry Dean Martin. Fuck Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have to kill Nacky Cole. I think in the same. But I wouldn't want to. I, I almost want to marry, marry him. him. Me yeah, too. Yeah. He's marryable. He's, he's marryable. He seemed like a stand-up guy. He do Honestly, he seems like a better guy than Frank Sinatra. Oh, I would never marry Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. And Dean Martin, I don't really know a lot about him. Dean Martin, I've like, heard some it's bad just that, things, like, too. Yeah, maybe I would marry Nacky Cole then. But, but Dean, Dean Martin, Martin has that, like, special place in my heart because, like, the family so ties. Special. It's, like, nostalgic. When the moon hits the right like a big pizza pie, that's amore. I was actually named after my grandpa, Tony. That's why my name is Tony. 
What you got an Italian name, girl? Tony. Tony. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this okay. is our goodbye. Thanks yeah. for just going with the flow on this. Sorry, one. guys. This one is a bit scattered. No, I think it was fine. I think we're just a little bit lower energy, but you know, it's week eight. Yeah, Jesus. End of the quarter. I'm about to graduate. Life is hitting hard. Life is hitting. But I think it worked like, you know, the crooners, it was chill. It was yeah. calm on this rainy week. Yes. Hopefully yeah. you enjoyed learning about the greats. Yeah. The I greats. think it was fun. I think we packed a lot of information in there. Though. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So yeah. have a good week, and everyone. And with that, Ooh. New York. <laughs> <laughs> Start spreading the news. I'm ending today. the podcast. <laughs> Start spreading the news. We're I'm ending the podcast. We'll, we'll see you on the next, next one. On the next podcast. Podcast. <laughs> okay, this is bad. This is really bad. <laughs> Guys, bye. We love you. We love you. Bye. See you next week. And bye. Okay.